Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Guy, Nick Mason, sourceful of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then you I might. did come up with uh, Nick Mason, sourceful of secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's Is You Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So... Join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. It goes up to 1972 with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never mm. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you know, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. Was <laughs> he... <laughs> Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Happy New Year. Yes, and Happy New Year to you too. And, and happy Lockdown 3. Yes, and also I had my first lockdown birthday. And, uh, oh, course, you did. Of course I, you did. Yes, of course I did. And of course, um, well, my birthday is January the 3rd, so it's always nothing anyway. No one is the slightest bit interested <laughs> in celebrating <laughs> But coming after this sort of nothing Christmas and nothing New Year, it was just sort of double nothing. It was just the most nothing birthday ever. So well, I um, sent you the most extravagant text I've ever written. I hope you received it uh, <laughs> with no birthday present, of course. No, of course included. not. No. Yeah, no, text cost nothing. <laughs> In fact, yeah, you, you WhatsApped it so you didn't have to use your text plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, it's a shame we can't actually be together. Um, uh, but we're on Zoom today, which is which is good because we'll be able to see the fellow we're talking to. I actually first saw this. I'm going to talk about this during the show. But this man that's on today was the first rock singer I ever saw in my life. He, he set the benchmark, and my God, did he set it quite high! Wow. Well, the first rock singer I ever saw was Graham Parker. Oh, yeah, because he was supporting oh. Thin Lizzy. He was great. I like when well, he still is. He's still still around. Yeah, he's fantastic. We'll have to get him on the show. We should we'll get, get him on, on the show. show. But anyway, but so we're so uh, we're going to be speaking to uh, the one, the only uh, Bonnie Lad, aren't we, Brian? Um, Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Oh, I was going to say Bonnie Lad. Who's he? I missed him. Is he the son <laughs> of Alan Lad? <laughs> I hope he's brought his orange box. <laughs> <laughs> Who lived? He was, but he, where he lives? He lives in in Sarasota, somewhere in Florida. Uh, and apparently, it's this mad place. Where I think it was Barnum or someone, one of the big circuses, where they he sort of bought this island to, so that all the animals could roam free in the winter. So it really? was full of giraffes and sort of lions. Yeah. What down down on Brian's land? Yeah. I mean, before so, he was there, obviously. Oh, I thought you meant like now. I thought I could just say he's a brilliant rockstar. I could just see he's probably riding a giraffe into his studio right now to yeah, talk well, to yeah, us. Yeah. Well, you know, Geordie's, you know. <laughs> Yeah, topless, you know, obviously. Yes. Anyway, right. welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, get yeah. good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Hello, Michelle. Oh, there you are. Ask me, mate. How are you? <laughs> the last time I saw you was at Nick's uh, aeroplane thing, you know? Hey, yeah, the roundhouse. Oh, no, what was that? Well, I think after that, we saw you at his uh, First World War thing, you know, with these all these biplanes and... Oh, oh yeah, 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 that's right. Yep, yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't go to that. <laughs> yeah, and you came to you came to the, uh, the roundhouse, didn't you? Yes, we did, me son. I enjoyed that night. And I really did. I had to sit next to, uh, oh, what's his face? Peter Gabriel. Oh, 
Oh, Geld. All oh, right. Yeah, and I, I was <laughs> in case he wanted to ask us to join him in something. <laughs> well, you were being, it's very funny, Brian, because that's when uh, you were still in that, you were still in the, the sort of ACDC KG area. We said, oh, we do, oh, I'll be recording in Vancouver. Oh, is that with ACDC? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, oh, were you doing something else then? No. no. I, had, <laughs> I had to live a life for like two fucking years, you know. It was just one of them things where just, we said, right, we'll keep it quiet. And of course, somebody took photographs of us having a sneaky smoke on the fire escape. And, <laughs> and it was all over the place, you know, and it's terrible. Yeah. Social media, I'm terrified of the bloody thing. You can't do anything anymore. And of course, it went wrong. So people had an idea, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was terrible because I'm not the kind of guy to keep, I'm terrible. You know, can you keep a secret? Well, you obviously fucking can it if you're asking us, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you do like a chat, which is why we're so glad to have you on here. <laughs> Brian, what, why were you keeping it a secret? Did you want to sort of reveal it as a kind of big thing at one moment? Or were you not quite sure that you wanted to get back with the band in case they were too loud still? Uh, no, well, it wasn't so much that. It was just, I think, you know, we wanted to keep it quiet just to make sure that we had everything there, you know. And of yeah. course, Malcolm was getting kind of worse, you know. He was deteriorating and Angus was very worried mm. and... Uh, and then, of, yeah. of course, you know, George passed away, Angus's eldest brother, who Malcolm and Angus held up as a, you know, just a god. You know, he was that guiding hand through the early albums and stuff like that. And yeah, and he passed away at 70, I think two days after his 70th birthday. And then Malcolm went and it was just it gutted war all. And I think at the funeral, it was when we were just sitting there afterwards, you know, and talking that, you know, Pab's our sound guy, Pab's Boothroyd, just went, so when's the band getting back together then? <laughs> <laughs> and he said what, I guess, what everybody was thinking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it, and it just sort of, about a month later, Ang phoned and he says, you fancy doing an album? And I said, Ang, I love it. I said, I didn't like being in this deaf retirement place. It's horrible. But I said, uh, the great thing is I've been working with this guy called Stephen Ambrose, who's invented this new hearing stuff and it's fantastic. And oh, we're yeah. There. yeah, how's that coming along? Uh, um, well, well we've, we've got it all ready now. Uh, we're hoping to get it. Roger Dolphy he's one of the first and Pete Townsend, I think we're gonna try to get them to them to, cause it's absolutely, honestly, it's- So is this a cross between sort of in-ears and a deaf aid? What is, what, what, yeah, is it what it is, what it is, it's like, it's like putting, if you can excuse my unscientific, <laughs> it's like sticking two raisins in your ear and they inflate. And what they do is they use the bone structure of your face as a, wow. as, it's unfucking believably simple. Well, but you do have a lovely it, bone structure, Brian, so that's... <laughs> no, I, I'm, well, I'm using the family brain cells today. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, this will give you an opportunity to go out live. But, but, but tell... How did you, well, now we're on this period of your, of your career, your, your extremely long career. Yeah. Um, how, how did you feel when that moment came, when, when you said to Angus, I, I don't think I can play live because it's, it's just it's making me go deaf. And then they replaced you. How did you feel about that? Uh, well, at the time, it was strange. You know, they had to, you know, they just wanted to finish that tour. Uh, but, you know, when, you know, when you're surrounded by this family, basically, you know, all my life for the last 40 years or something at the time, it's been 37 years, in the... Um, and then you're at home, it all ends. And it, it's, you know, but I did think to myself, hey, listen now, you know, Brian, this, it's not terminal, you know, it's not like I'm gonna, you know, die or something. Yeah. You know, it's, I've had a great life. At the time I was uh, 70 years old. I mean, holy shit, I, I should be in the Nakaz yard. It's, and um, so I, I buried my head in a whiskey bottle for two months. I, I didn't go to a quack. I didn't seek books to read me way out of it. I just got, you know, I didn't get drunk. I just got, you know, merry. You know, every day was the best way. I mean, not first thing in the morning, but by about two o'clock in the afternoon, I would just open a bottle of whiskey and just... 
And it, it just helped me through it, you know? And um, so, you know, people do things in their own ways, you know, but I miss the music, you know? I miss that buzz of getting on stage. And But the truth of the matter was, I was getting through about 40 minutes on stage and then the guitars just all went flat. Uh, there was no tonal quality. I, I, I was kind of singing the last, the last two thirds of the set on muscle memory. And I know that kind of sounds kind of crazy, but you know, the shape of your mouth, the, wow, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't good. You know, by the end of the thing, I mean, I didn't know if I was in tune, out of tune and I, and I'm really particular about that. I, I always want to be, you know, the best you can be. And it was just horrible. It was, it was crippling. If, and I oh, can use that word, you know. Uh, and did you sort of say to Angus, look, do us a favour, could you come down from number 11? And he went, now, nah, mate, <laughs> it's not going to be possible. <laughs> well, the stack at the back uh, of the on stage is all real. There's no fake things there. It's all real. And that's what makes it magic, you know. And, and Angus plays the way he plays, which is just brilliant for two and a bit hours. And, and it, it's that sound he gets, and I don't think he could do it any other way. And of course, I would never ask him. The, the kids would go conkers. <clears throat> but you yeah. didn't get sort of queenie enough, as it were, to sort of say, well, I'm never going to talk to them again, and I don't want to be back in the band. I mean, you're, you, you still felt, you know, that this is where you belonged, and you'd had a family fallout, and, but you yeah. needed to patch it up. Yeah. Well, we hadn't had a fallout uh, uh, or patch it up at all, no. It, it was quite the contrary. I mean... You know, Angus was still, you know, checking up on uh, on the hearing devices, from oh, the, you know, you know how it was going, and uh, and it was fun because I was going, hey, this is really good stuff, you know. And then, of course, earlier uh, last year it was about February, you know, we we got together to do the video uh, for the for the single of the album, and uh, and when I was there, I invited over St Stephen Ambrose to uh, come over with the equipment and we would do some rehearsals. And Angus said, okay then, so we're booked 15 days in this big rehearsal studio. And I'll, I'll never forget that first day, lads. There was little Stephen Ambrose, you know, with his big white beard. He really looks like the professor he is. He's 60 odd, you know, and he's standing there with this device. And there's three hard-nosed sound guys, you know, just looking you know, very disinterested because they've heard all the bullshit and the tricks before, you know. And then, so he fitted it to me, to me backpack, and then put them in me ear, turned the mic on, tested it. Angus said, what do you want to do? I said, well, let's start at the top, back in black. You know. Wow. <laughs> he said, well, we'll start a little quiet and we'll build up. I said, no, I'm full battlefield conditions. <laughs> if it doesn't work, I'll walk away. You know, if it doesn't work, I'll tell you now, because I can't bullshit and then get on stage and then just go, I was yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So on we went there and I felt like a kid. I was skipping a boot like a spring lamb up there. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so we, we said next and we did about just two hours straight, all the songs. And, and Cliff has some very bad problems as well with his ears, uh, many or something, you know, and, got vertigo and it was just because he did carry on with the band when I, the doctors told me I had to stop and um, he said can I try it out and we took it up to his bedroom in the morning in a hotel me and Stephen went up and Stephen put them in and he went behind him and he said how's that Cliff and, you know Cliff's he's a very straight guy he doesn't show emotion very well and his face was running with tears oh my god he just couldn't believe it. He said, Jonah, he said, let's get going. He said, and so he built a set and Cliff was singing the back and vocals. He's going, I can fucking hear what I'm singing, Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and the two of us were fucking belting it out there. And we, we did that for 15 days and I think we had one day off and it was wonderful. It was just, uh, and that's all down to technology, you know, otherwise there was no way I could have done that again, you know, not at that volume. Oh, fantastic. Now, should we, should we go back to the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> With you, Brian? No, I, I, no, 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 I mean, let's, should we go to the top of where you, where it all began? Uh, well, I didn't know. <laughs> or would you rather not? No, I want him to. I, 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 I tell you why I want him to, because Brian, you were the very, very first rock singer 
I ever saw on stage. Really? Where? I, it, it was at the London Palladium. I'm 13 oh, years old. I had tickets to see Slade. I'd That's never seen a rock band ever. I think I lived next door to a pub growing up. So I'd heard sort of pub singers, you know, in my life, but I'd never seen any rock band. I'd only been on, only watching Top of the Pops. You were supporting Slade and as, in Geordie. And it was, so it was the first impression I ever got of a rock star, rock singer. And I was blown away. I remember thinking this is incredible stuff. Easily competed with Noddy when he came home. And the funny thing is you and Noddy both were up for... The That's ACDC, right, they, yeah. weren't you? Yeah, well, Noddy said he, he wasn't up personally, but his management were. And he said at the time, you know, Slade was still doing pretty well, you know. And uh, he said, so I didn't really, you know, feel like I needed a move to something I wasn't sure about anyway. So that was his thing. But uh, but thanks, Noddy. <laughs> <laughs> but. So, so Geordie, you know, we got to talk about you yeah. growing up in Newcastle and how you guys ended up, how you ended up finding out you were a singer. Well, first of all, you're not going to believe this, but I was in the Sea Scouts, you see, the Dunstan Fifth Time Sea Scouts. And I had a thing called the Gang Shows. And we all had audition and all that. And I ended up singing two solo songs, which were, uh, fucking hell, what was it? Uh, this is the morning of your life. A real poncy song. And uh, and stay, uh, stay After School was another one, Stay After School. So anywhere from there, uh, they said, the local church said, would you like to join the choir? And I went, not really. And they said, we'll give you, a, 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 you know, two and six for a Sunday morning. I said, I'll have some of that. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a biscuit or something. <laughs> oh, that was it. But then, I, you know, when I left school, I went to work at C.A. Parsons as an engineer, you see. And I went to the apprentice school, and it was just about the time, the Stones, the Beatles, and, and everybody was forming a band. There was 60 guys in this school, and we all formed bands. And I didn't have any money, so I naturally become the singer. And I remember... I went to Miller's Music Store, Newcastle, you see, and there was a 10-watt oh, yeah, yeah. Selma. It was 10 fucking watts in a crystal make, and it came to 20... Would it touch the sides with Angus, would it? I mean... <laughs> <that> was... <laughs> it was 23 guineas. And, um, guineas, come on. Guineas, it was <laughs> guineas. I swear on my mother's life. And my dad was with us, and he signed the HP agreement. And was to form this band with Stevie Chance and all that down in Walker. And uh, we learned eight songs. I think they were all Chuck Berry songs. Uh, we learned eight songs. And we went to do our first gig at the Walker Boys Club. And there was about 22 people in. There was no coffee, no pop. It was just these kids. And uh, the, the, the vicar introduced her and he said, what's your name? I said, we haven't got that far yet. You know? so, <laughs> so we started and I've suddenly realized that in them days, you know, the mic lead was only about four foot long. Do I really mean? Remember you had to fit your own plug was on? It, was it curly as well? No, it wasn't. Oh, no. It was just straight. And, um, and we sang the eight songs and of course, nobody was interested. You know, they were just leaning against the wall smoking. And so we said, well, we're so we played the same songs four times. <laughs> and I got with through the night. But the funny thing was, to get there, we all carried the equipment to the bus stop and waited for the trolley bus to come. So we were getting on, and the conductor's going, you kind of bring that shite in here. Go on, get off. <laughs> so we said, oh, well, mate, you know. So, so we stuck the drums under the stairs, you know, upstairs. And there was only two stops, but we got up, and that was our first band transport. Fucking crazy wow. what we did. Just and when did they, they, they become Geordie? You became Geordie, those guys? Oh, that was the Gobi Desert Canoe Club. Yeah, where did that name come that's from? Because, right. I mean, that's a very wacky, that's a very art school kind of name. I, I think I saw it in the back of the NME on a T-shirt or something. I don't know, but I thought it was dead fucking hip. Yeah, you know, but everybody had long names then, you know, like uh, <laughs> this is psychedelic period. And, but we had short hair and everything, you know, overall, couldn't grow a hair long in the factory, we bully. But then, oh, well, hang on, but was it what? There was a hair code at the factory, did you? Say? Yeah, yeah, if you wow. did have long hair, you had to wear a hairnet. Of course, we didn't want to do that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so anyway. <laughs> 
the bigger bands started to come round and ask us to sing for them. And I went, there was one band that was called Bob Wire, I think. And they said, wait, you want to come along and have a sing? And I went, oh, this, they had a van and everything. So I went along <laughs> and, and they said, here, set your gear up. And I, I pulled this Selma out, you know, the size of a briefcase. And they went, what's that? I said, that's me gear. He went, oh, no, man. no, no. He said, no, I'm sorry, man. You, you, you've got to bring it around here. So I didn't know what to do, and I was all... So a friend at work says, you know, you can make extra money in the Territorial Army. I went, really? So What band was that? (laughs) 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 I went in and... They only play play at weekends. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But when I joined up, when I looked, and I I, I went up with my friend Jimmy Shane and Jordy Beveridge, and we went in and I signed up. And it wasn't until I come out, I looked, I said, that says the parachute regiment. And they went, <laughs> well, of course, that's, that's where you make the big bucks. You get eight pounds for every parachute jump you do. I went, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Just a bit of light bruising. That kind of fucking hurt too much. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a Geordie. He probably does it topless, right? You do it without a coat on anyway. airplane. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, you know, stand up, come to the door, and I, I was jumping out of aeroplanes, and I never landed at one in my life. I'd never been on an aeroplane, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but I had enough money after, because to get your wings, you had to do seven jumps, seven times it. Oh, that's more than a lot. That and um, and so we, uh, we we we. I put my deposit down and I got myself a, you know, the, the WEM, you know, two, the two the Dominator, was it the WEM? This, oh, is, yeah. an, this yeah. is an incredible story. To get yourself into rock music, you parachuted eight times. <laughs> Seven no, times. No, but actually it was, it was with 33 altogether. Uh, to, to buy an amp. But I had to meet him and like, I was only getting two, two pounds, 17 shillings and sixpence. But that is so Geordie, Brian, because that is literally the hardest man yeah. way of getting an amp I've ever heard of. I jumped out of a plane 33 uh, times. It's like Chuck Norris, if he was going to be in a band, that's what he would do, right? <laughs> there was no other way, and I was desperate. And, you know, and from there, I joined some a couple of other bands until Vic Malcolm, you know, good old Vic Malcolm. And Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a band called USA, Tom Hale and Brian Gibson, and I asked us if I'd come along. And honestly, it was by this time, I was a draftsman at Parsons, you know. I'd passed exams and shit, but I thought I was clever enough. And uh, and I was only there six months, and we made a demo, and Vic Malcolm and uh, Tom Hill took it down to London. Honestly, they just went down to Wardour Street and banged on, uh, walked up these stairs to Red Bus Records and said, here, we've got a demo. And they said, put it on. And they said, oh, I like that. We'll sign you up. I couldn't believe it. And the next thing I know, they said, right, you're going to have to leave work. We're going to go down and make a record. And it was strange. You were a lion tamer by this point, I, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> was, was, this, was this connected with Red Bus Studios off on Leeson Street? Yeah, that was it. Red Bus right, Studios. Right, right, right. a bunch that of... came up in our last one. Past. Brian, so who was on the scene in Newcastle then when you were doing that? Who, who else was playing? There must be, you know, was well, Brian Ferry yeah, around yeah. yet or anyone like that? Well, Johnny Miles. Uh, John Miles was. Oh, uh, oh yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a band. Um, yeah, who else was it? John Miles and. Uh, but and, not uh, Brian Ferry, no. Brian Ferry was. But uh, he was down in London with a, and they were just, you know, uh, the Pajama Rama came up or something like that. And I think it was just about that time, or maybe seventy four, seventy three. And yeah, well, I mean, it would be it would be at least 73, 72, because I saw you in 73 at the Palladium. Yeah, so. yeah that's right, 73 was then, so it must have been just after that. But I remember that night, uh, you know, it was packed. There was cops yeah. everywhere downstairs. And we'd just finished, and we'd gone round to the sides to watch, and Noddy came out with that. You know, he's hat with the mirrors on, remember? Yeah, yeah, the top oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. What yeah. A- I was wearing one as well in the audience, probably. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I was just blown away by this guy. The musicianship of the band was just, it was really good. But know? I've seen a photograph of that gig and there's no monitors on stage. 
No. So I don't know how anyone, how did you even hear yourself singing? I think you just sang louder, you know? <laughs> uh, but you and Noddy both have that same thing, don't you? Of just being just like naught to 60 and then at 60, you're just at 100 miles an hour nonstop the whole way through. Yeah. It's an extraordinary yeah, he's, 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 but he's he's exceptional, old Noddy. You know, I've always loved the way he uh, put a song together. You know, with his voice and and uh, he, and he can be uh, he can be the other side now. You, you know, some of the songs they did every day when I'm away, uh, you know, thinking of you. of you, every man. <laughs> so you know, I just I thought they were a good all-round band and never. You know, what what you have. I suppose Noddy had it as well, but you you have it on millions and millions of records. You occupy that space that's way above the guitar. So when most bands, the singer's <laughs> singing in the same register as the guitar, but yes. with 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 what you did in Geordie, and certainly what you do in ACDC, is you, you're all living in very separate oral spaces. So you can hear the drums, the bass. Guitar is as clean as anything because yep. your vocal is way away from it. Although I would say that it's it seems that after because I've been I've been listening to Geordie all afternoon, by the way. Great bass, <laughs> fantastic Amazing. bass playing, by the way. Great bass playing on that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, really good. And um, but but it seems to me that when you joined ACDC, you jumped an octave. <laughs> well, that, that was yeah. Langer in the studio. I didn't realize I could do that, but now you know, uh, you know, when I was doing, when we did House of the Rising Sun with Geordie, that was about as high as I think I've ever sung in my life, you know. And then when we were in the Bahamas with Mutt Lang, you know, um, I realised straight away that this band, and Malcolm always said, he said, one of the reasons, you know, when you came down and sang uh, at the first, the first time with us, I said to them, Listen, uh, they said, what do you want to sing about our songs? And I knew if I sang one of their songs, I'd be at a disadvantage immediately. And I said, uh, Nutbush City Limits, Tina Turner. Mm -hmm. What? I said, yeah, let's do that one in the key of air. And they went, yeah, are you sure? I said, sure. <laughs> so we did it. But they're Australian. They probably don't know if you meant A or E. Yeah. But anyway, and that's where it was. And Mal always said, he said it was straight away that it, it, we could tell that you could get above the guitars, which was very important, you know. But, you know, that's in, it's interesting that, that you, I mean, we've jumped to this moment in time uh, when you join ACDC. But the story that I, I heard was that Bon Scott had seen you perform yeah. in Geordie. Yes, and and, and, and he had already told Angus about, this guy who he said collapses like little Richard on stage, but apparently you collapsed in real life. Is that right? It was, it was, I had appendicitis or some shit. <laughs> That's right. And I was in agony. And, and it was, I still I kept singing it. And he was hey, by Christ, hey, hey. that's a great act. And of course, <laughs> and, um, but you know, it was funny what was took up a bond in a space of an hour, you know, that's and I never saw him again. You know, that's the, incredible. The, yeah. the bus had broken down. There was ice on the streets of Torquay. It was so cold, you know. And we had a little B and B place, and they, the, the bus, their bus they had was absolutely ice cold inside. It was like a fridge. It was dead. All the electrics and everything. So we shared what we could with him and all of that. Of course, he didn't look like Bon. He had spiky hair, little short hair, and he had a couple, he had a big tooth missing at the front and a little goatee beard, you know. And so it was hard to... to what, was, yeah. what was he doing there? So you weren't supporting them, were you? No, what, no, uh, no they, were, they were supporting us. Uh, the, the, there was an Australian band, and I keep forgetting the name of it. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there. Oh, and Bon had gone to see them. Yeah, he was singing there with the band. They were I see. on tour. They were touring England. But the Brian, Australian I mean, bands there were that time before ACDC. Little River Band? <laughs> no, no. It was the, the, the one that well known. But that's an extraordinary moment in rock history, isn't it? That there was a moment in this story where you yeah. met you met this guy whose place you were going to take. You know, he'd already made six mm. albums with ACDC. I mean, I actually saw ACDC with my brother when I was 15 and he, my brother was 13. We used to go to when they did the marquee residency, Yeah, you know, with, with Bond singing for them, obviously. And, and this little 17 year old kid dressed as a schoolboy, he could probably, he was getting away with it then, yeah. you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and 
And they used to, and Bon used to bring him out on his shoulders and then he would drop to the floor in the middle of the pit and just start right. spinning, playing his guitar. And we all stood back. Phenomenal yeah. show. They were great. The first time I saw them was on Rock Goes to College. And I couldn't believe it. I think it was black and white. In fact, I'm almost sure it was black and white. And, and I couldn't believe it. And the next thing we did with Geordie too, because we were playing the social clubs. You know, after Geordie, you know, we were all, I was broke after Geordie. We, you know, it was, it was rip-off time, you know, in the 70s. And so we got right royally, you know, ripped off. And um, so I had to stop because I had to, start paying the mortgage, basically. And uh, and so I thought, how am I going to make a living here? So uh, I joined this, uh, uh, I went for an interview at a windshield company. <laughs> I thought, you know, I'm a skilled engineer. Sure, that can't be that fucking hard, putting a windshield in it. Right, it wasn't. So I went down for an interview uh, with this guy in a car park at Bertley Services, and it was fucking raining. <laughs> I was, was it awesome. and I'm sitting, I'm going, what the fuck am I doing? I was on top of the pops. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Just last year. <laughs> and I tapped on the window and this guy's going, one moment. And it was written. I went, hey, don't be a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and I got in and he said, excuse my language, lads, you know, yeah. You know, uh, and then um, we got in. He said, "Right, name." Honestly, he didn't know what he said, because that's where I started wearing this hat, so nobody recognises me. Again. I thought you were a millionaire. I saw your yeah. top of pops, like you know, because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we assume. That's you right. Know? Oh, but, yeah. but, but there's a story about the hat, though, isn't there? there? Or why you switched to the to the flat cap? Isn't that wasn't that to keep? Wasn't it your brother or something? Well, basically, it was it was me brother. You know, yeah. I just wore that there for that. But me brother came to a gig in one of the clubs because we were very popular. We're doing about six nights a week in different clubs, and I was always sweating because I had a mass of hair. And I was, I was, his eyes were stinging. And he, he had a sports car. Well, that's because he was single. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying this to my wife. <laughs> and, he, and he said, You're putting that on. And oh, Morris, God bless him. He's just a few times. And I put it on. I went, Oh, this is brilliant. It worked. And people were going, because it's the Geordie thing, you know, from yeah, the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The handicap. <laughs> yeah, and I started to keep it on, and and uh, and it was just brilliant. But on Wednesday, you must get hot though, don't you? Don't you get hot? I mean, it's tweaking yeah, that thing. Yeah, isn't it? Sometimes, not really. It, it doesn't bother you. But a lovely story, lads. Honestly, a lovely story. I got to tell you, I was called out one night. I said, Brian, there's a Cortina Mark IV near Scott's <laughs> Corner. And it's got a broken windshield. You have to get doing it. It's an emergency, apparently. So I said, oh, all right. And I got me van with me little orange light and shut down the M1, A1M. And there it was. And there was two guys at the front of the car. And the way they acted, it was different from civilians. I knew this was... And of course, I went, right, mate. He said, we've got to get down to the Emma Smith Pally by nine o'clock. The show starts. It's 4.30, mate. You know, how long is this going to take? I said, I'll do it in 15 minutes. And he went, no, you wouldn't be matting around with me. He said, I said, no, no, I'll, I'll get it in in 15 minutes. And I did. And it was two guys sitting in the back. And uh, and, and, and I, as fast as I could, sucked out of a glass and put it in. I says, there you go, mate. It's 25 quid. And he went, there's 40. Thanks, a bundle, mate. 
And the car started pulling away and it screeched to a halt. It just stopped again. And, it, and the back window went down and a skinny little arm came out with a T-shirt and he went, thank you, mate. And it was Ian Jury. <laughs> no! <laughs> Ian Jury and the Blockheads T-shirt. Oh, and the car sped off and I went, ah, I want to do that again. <laughs> it was just one of them things that was standing in this, you know, on the year one. What year, what year was that? What year is this? This is it. This is the late seventies, is it? Yeah, no, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been seventy-seven. Because it's it's hard to get my head around your career. Because because I'm talking about this guy in Geordie who's on top of the pops numerous times. I mean, you had yep. you had a hit record. Yep. Then you turn into a guy who's who's fixing people's cars, including yeah, yeah, his windscreen, and then you end up in the biggest rock band in the world. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is what's, you know, in a way, it's a bit like uh, we had a chat with David Coverdale on the show a few weeks yeah, ago. I love yeah. And David, you know, he went from being in a small band to yeah. being on stage at Madison Square Gardens with this massive group. Yeah. And but you he didn't had... then go back to fixing windshields in the middle. No. I mean, that's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. But you, but you, you went from windshields to to being in this band that you must have heard of you must have known who they were and and, well, and having the responsibility of taking over from in that lead role i mean how did yeah, you shitting was, yourself well the, the thing was i got a call i had me own company by then because it was easy so i, met, I started me on company up in newcastle and the, the phone rang in the office one day and it's an old story but i'll tell you it again and, you know and his voice said you're playing johnson and i went yeah who is this in um, I am from London and uh, we need you to come down and sing for audition. And I said, who with? He says, I cannot tell you. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not coming to London. I'm not I'm just coming down. She said, but you must. <laughs> I have been ordered to tell you to come. I didn't, later on, this girl, her nickname was Olga from the Volga, but she was German. Yeah. Um, Did you take your papers with you? <laughs> but she said, I said, well, who is it? You must give me a clue. She said, I cannot. She said, I cannot. I said, just give us the initials. And she went, okay, this is BC on St. DC. And I went, <laughs> and she said, Lisa, I have said too much. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose you lucked out in, in that it was a band with only initials. Yeah. So I said, you know... I, I think she it. shot herself then. Yeah, I said, I'm 32. Sorry, I'm too old. old. You know, it's, it's a waste of time. But 10 minutes later, this is how life changes. 10 minutes later, the telephone rang, and it was Andre Jacquemin, who did all the Monty Python stuff, all the songs, Life of Brian and all the tunes, and he said, hello, Brian, you all right? And... He said, would you like mind making an advert? And I went, an advert? What do you mean? He said, 350 quid, mate. I said, oh, that sounds all right. He said, uh, it's for Hoover. Yeah, in fact, you can still hear it on YouTube. He said, it's the Hoover oh, ad. Wow. It's 350 quid. And I went, oh, that sounds good. So I phoned the girl back and I said, hey, I'll be down on Tuesday. Is that all right? She went, yeah. She said, she got back so at six o'clock in the evening. I said, okay. So I went down. I did the Hoover advert uh, from about one to till about four. And then I went with a little cafe across from Vanilla Studios. That's where they were. Oh. And, 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 yeah. and I, uh, I, I sat there, had a cup of tea, looked across the road, and I said, you know, I'm wasting my time here because I've just got 350 quid in me back sky, you know? And, um, <laughs> and I went in, had a couple of games of pool, with the uh, the crew. And after a while, I said, uh, the tour manager came down, he said, has anybody seen this kid, this Geordie kid? Has anybody seen? I said, I said, Brian Johnson. He went, aye. I said, that's me. And he went, the fuck you been? He said, the boys are waiting for upstairs. <laughs> so I've been playing pool. So I went up there and I walked through that door and it was just something happened, you know, when we started singing together. I mean, for me, it didn't, but I was just... So happy to sing, sing two songs with them. And afterwards I said, right lads, well, that was great. Well, I tell the boys back up home that I've had a sing with you. And they said, what do you mean? Where, where the fuck are you going? I said, well, I've got to get back. I've got to open the shop up, you know, I'm driving back to Newcastle. So that's how it started. And I had to get back, though, I stood, you know. <clears throat> and then about a week 
the, about three days later, the phone has asked us to come down again. And that's when it started to get serious, you know? So uh, it was uh, it was a lot of, it was an exciting time, you know, because I didn't know which way to go, you know? It was... Because uh, there's one thing you said to me once, and it still stands as one of the most gobsmacking things I've heard. I asked you, I said, Brian, is it true that Back to Black is the first song you ever wrote? And you said, no. Shook me all night long, was Thank you. <laughs> wow, that was the first song. <laughs> yes. It was the first song I ever wrote. I remember you said I fell off my chair when you told me that. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I'll never forget, you know, we'll, we'll put these little, these little concrete bunkers, the way they were going out. We'll, we'll, because it was. Well, this is in Nassau. Oh. I did an album in Nassau. That's I. I, I know yeah. Compass Point. Right? Did you parachute into the studio? <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't. You know, we, we, you know, we had enough money to land. Thank Christ. But uh, now, <laughs> now, go on. Tell us how you how you how you wrote these songs. How these? Because you didn't just join ACDC and take over in someone else's shoes. <laughs> you reinvented the whole band. I mean, just to remind people, Back in Black is the biggest selling album by any rock band ever in the world. I know, it's strange, it? It, I mean, it's wonderful. Uh, but it, not, I remember I got a, a pad, just like this, uh, off, off the boys <laughs> and a pen. And uh, uh, Malcolm uh, uh, gave me a small cassette player. And he said, he said, can you write lyrics? And I said, I'll give it a shot. And, uh, and he said, what we'll do is we'll go up there, we'll put the basic track down and we'll give the basic track, you know, without any of the bells and whistles on, and it'll give you an idea. So he said, the first song we've got is Shook Me All Night Long. And I went, that's a long title. And I sat there, and I'll never forget as long as I live. Uh, lads, I wouldn't bullshit you, you know, it's neat. And uh, I sat with it, I started writing, and, and I couldn't stop, and I finished it. And I went, well, Looks like there's too many words there, but never mind, I'll give it a shot. And when I finished it, I remember looking up and I'm not religious. I'm not fucking not. And I just went, thanks, mate. And that was it. Because <laughs> I knew I could not. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, she was a fast machine. I like cars, right? You know, she kept a motor clean. She was the best damn woman that I ever seen. You know, and uh, so, and I just... Didn't know how I did it. Wow. And of course, the next night, you know, the boys were quite chuffed with them. I was going, hey, my dad. And the next night, they come down with the next song. You know, this is back to black. Don't make it too dirty, you know, with a little bit. So are they giving but you that was the second to song? Sing? That was back in black. It's the second song you ever wrote. Yeah. yeah it was the second one. Sake, and then, mate. And then by the, I remember by the fifth one, I was getting really worried. I'm going, you know, I can't keep this up fucking any longer. You know, it's like one every day or two days. I said, it's just getting fucking scary, this. And Mutt Lang had seen us and he came down to me, a uh, little shack thing, and he just went, you all right, Brian? I said, yeah, yeah, and he said, getting it. He running out of things to say, and I said, I can't think any more freaking words. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was hell's bells, you know, and which is a lovely old, Geordie term, you know, hell's bells and buckets of shit is the full, is the full. <laughs> right. and, uh, and, and I sat there and it was horrible. It, it, was cl- it was cloudy, which is very rare there. And I said, oh, I don't know what to tell you. And then we saw, the, we heard thunder. You know, you know them tropical storms come yeah, in? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you get like oh, three happening at once, don't you? Officer? Yeah, and I, w- <laughs> I was just looking out going, you know what, that, that sounds nasty. That And, uh, and Mutt Lang went, that's called rolling thunder. He says, write that down. I went, oh, right, and rolling thunder. And then it started to rain. It's pouring rain. And then the wind, you know, them tropical, it just came in, it, it, you know, it coming on like a hurricane. There's lightning flashing, which it was, across the sky. You're only young, but you're going to die. Because that's what it felt like. Because I thought we were yeah. going to get swept away. So with somebody else in the room, he just gave us a little kicker. Just give us a little kick up the ass. And I was off again. I was going, oh, this is great. So, and it went on like that through the whole album. And... Um, were, were Angus and Malcolm, were they giving you titles? Titles, yes. They, they had all... And the, and the riffs. And the riffs, yeah. And uh, and just giving me what they'd done in the roughs. 
and then um, I would write it down and then I would go into the studio at about one and Mutt Langer had this strict rule, two hours singing and that's it. No more, I don't want you blown out because we're, we're only there for six weeks and that's because economically, you know, they weren't too rich, you know, then. And, um, and then I would sing them and uh, the boys would come up and have a listen and, uh, and everything seemed to be going good because, you know, they keep getting the thumbs up and then the boys would go and put the backing vocals on and Angus and would put on the leads and, and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, you couldn't replicate it. You know, you, we went back there, but three, four years later for a flick of the switch, you know, Phil wasn't there. Or he was, what was he there? And left or something, something bad happened to him. And, um, it, 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 and uh, it just wasn't the same. I mean, it was a good album, but mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, what do you think is the secret to, to backing back? Why is that such an enormous record? Why has it worked? I think the loss of Bond, uh, the, uh, the determination of the boys to carry on, this new singer guy who was a bit of a joke, uh, you know, I was like the good laugh, me, you know, uh, didn't take anything too seriously because it's just music. You know, that's at the end of the day. It's just fun to do music and... And I think that went through the band and everybody just was having a good time. You know, Malcolm had his first baby, uh, you know, his wife uh, phoned up and, were, you know, we had a big ding dong. And um, it was just a magical time, like, but it passed in a blur, you know, lads. It was just, and I, suddenly I was back home and, and I was wondering, did I really do that? You know, and um, I can't go back with me little band, Geordie too because, well, hell, I've just signed a contract with these guys. So it was, you know, it wasn't until about seven or eight weeks later I got a copy of the album in vinyl in the post. And uh, I went down to our guitarist's house, uh, Eric Rutham, because he had a record player. I didn't have one. <laughs> and, uh, and he put it on. It was what you, you were soon to have one, though. I, I would have yes, thought. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and a jacuzzi and a swimming pool. Yeah. And, uh, well, no, actually, this is somewhere I want to go because it's still one of my favourite stories ever. Uh, because I don't know if it was around this time. You then went and lived on the Isle of Man in a caravan with the great Paul Thompson. Yeah, well, no, no, it was, it was a little. It wasn't a caravan. Later, sorry, oh, right. it looked like one inside. <laughs> Tom was a funny bugger. Tom has this, is Tom, this is Paul Thompson, the great from, Paul Roxy Thompson from Roxy Music. Yeah, one of the greatest drummers ever. Yeah, he's brilliant. But Tom, Tom, let's let's put a video on. And I went. Oh, <laughs> he said, "You like the Green Berets with John Wayne?" I went, ah, "I don't mind." Uh, and and he put it on. We had a couple of beers, and then you know. <laughs> and then next night, he said the same thing. But that's the only VHS he had. Was only <laughs> he had. <laughs> yeah, do you fancy the Green Berets again? A Green Beret. Uh, was, was, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. And then you were, I mean, you were tax exiles or something, weren't you? I tried it out. I tried it Not out. Not really cut out for it. You know, <laughs> and, and good old, you know, good old Paul. He's very quiet, Paul. Oh, He's yeah. Very I have to with him. Yeah, and um, and he's lovely and all that, and but there was nothing to do on that bloody island. You know, the pub shut at ten and it opened at like seven at night and shut at ten. And oh, you know what I think? I, I'm, I'm, I think why that record was so successful and why I think ACDC is so successful. I can't think of another. You know, let's 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 call you a heavy rock band that yeah. everybody I know, no matter what genre they like. You know whether it's you know us doing our eighties thing or whether it's rap artists or you know everyone likes ACDC. Yeah. Where you know yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't say everyone has got a Judas Priest record or an Iron Maiden record, but yeah. everybody it crosses all genres. And I think the real trick of it is is the is is it's so rhythmic and danceable. Um, yeah. I, 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 Angus plays with this choppy sort of syncopated sound, but he may, he, he writes riffs that he can dance to because he doesn't stop dancing on stage, right? That's right. Well, him and we always he said something to me once, which I thought was kind of surprised me in a way, but it, but I understand now. He said I always try to play my guitar like a sax player plays. He said uh, 
when I was first listening to rock and roll with these brothers, you know, like, it was a bam, 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 you know, with that big yeah, yeah. sound. And he always said, I always thought about that. And, and of course, Malcolm, uh, you know, the two of them just loved rock and roll. And, uh, and the, uh, they said there just wasn't enough of it. Music was turning soft. So, and they dedicated themselves. It, Sorry. Yeah. I, I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I think the difference, it's rock and roll. There's a lot of great rock bands. Even, even Roger Dalton said to me, he said, well, Brian, the difference between you and us is we're a rock band. You're a rock and roll band. Yeah. And I think the Stones are a rock and roll band. Mm. You know? That's why that's still so popular and everybody. Mm -hmm. The Beatles, if you listen to the Beatles, some of the early stuff, and they were a rock and roll band. Everyone who comes on this show often says, you know, the Beatles were our biggest influence. But if I look at ACDC, you think, well, you know, really, the, your music, the musical influences are like Chuck Berry to Elvis, and that's it. You know, it doesn't mm. sort of, it's really that late 50s sound. There is a certain lightness to those riffs. I mean, they're incredibly heavy sounding, but they're yeah. not like metal riffs. They're well, it's like Johnny. Like, it's like Johnny like Kidd riffs, you know. It's very Johnny yeah, yeah. Kidd and the Pirates, isn't it? That sound. Yeah, you know, it, it. There is, you know, if you look back at some of them, you know, the guys that love uh, Eddie Cochran. You but some of the songs, you know, were just. You know, with the brothers, there were seven brothers, okay, uh, in the family, and uh, they all they were all musicians. Alex, uh, he, he was with Grapefruit, the first band to be signed by the Beatles. You know, George was already a bit of a star in Australia with you know, Friday on my mind with the Easy Beats. Yeah, what a song that! Oh is. my God, he's yeah, an Easy Beat. Yeah, yeah one, one of the best crafted pop songs of all time. Yeah, and Bowie, yeah. Bowie covered it on pinups, didn't yeah. he? It's, 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 right. Well, George was the first producer of the boys, George and Harry Vanda. And, uh, yeah. And so that's where the good craftsmanship is. And that's why Malcolm and Angus so looked up at our brother. You know, he, you know, he just said, just do it the way you want to do it. And, you know, as long as you put the song together, right. You know, and George was a master of that, you know. And so that's where it all come from. You, you know, just there were all the songs were had a basic plan, you know. And uh, well, that's the other thing is that there's there's with the you know the ACDC kind of sound. It's like there isn't an ounce of fat on it. You no. know, it's it's like yeah, production wise, nothing, no, nothing, yeah, there's yeah. And with Phil, the drummer, you know, like Phil reckons Ringo starts one of the best drummers ever, and you know, Ringo never gets enough prayers for what no, he, Ringo's no, absolutely, yeah. But who would have influenced you? What singer did you want to be? Oh, little Richard. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had you had his hair. <laughs> yeah. He, he was just. I'll never forget. You know, I was a kid, and I remember BBC had things called the interlude. And it was either a potter, make a yeah. or, or a fucking goldfish, or, or, or some crap. And one day, uh, I was off school for some reason, or the dentist or whatever, and uh, the voice said, and now from America, as a young man called Little Richard with his <laughs> new record. And it just cut, and it was this guy sitting and I'd made jaw just dropped and I was going what the hell was that it was brilliant I was tingling you know and uh, and it finished and of course we didn't have a record player anything that wouldn't allow it there was no way you could hear it again then it was just and I was desperate and I was coming back from school and I heard it coming from this house you see and so I went up under the window and listening this woman coming she went what do you want and I went, oh, it's just that record. She went, that's Little Richard. That's, I've just bought it. I said, can you put it on again? And she went, no, come on. So she opened the window and put it on again. Oh, wow. oh my God, wow. I love this. This that is why we do this show. These stories yeah, yeah. are priceless. And yeah. what a world. The thing I remember more than anything, she came back onto the step. And I thought she was an old woman. She was probably 21. And she <laughs> started doing the hand jive. Oh, I'm going, God, she's dead hot. You know, it was, uh, yeah. but it was just moments like that. And then that's when me and Mark Knopfler, uh, uh, without even knowing each other, would start to go to the Spanish city in Whitley Bay because they had a waltzer there and they put the records on 
full volume and everybody would stand around with a pen and paper like train spotters and you try to catch the first line and write it down and then it, you maybe got half the second one and you had to wait for half an hour until they put it back on again. <laughs> mate, the kids today don't know they're born, do they, yeah. really? Oh, no, they're born, matey. Oof, what? <laughs> but also, because that was the thing, that's apparent, that's, you know, the usually you had when, when Blackboard Jungle and those first films came out and they had the riots in the cinema, listening to Rock Around the Clock and yeah. stuff. And people saying, because that's the only time people ever heard rock and roll at a concert volume. You've oh. never heard it loud before. Yeah. Newcastle, there was uh, the police were called into the audience to put on uh, Rock Around the Clock. And the place was, I mean, they were ripping seats out. It was like this freedom, but I mean, pretty violent freedom, but it was just everybody went crazy for this music, you know? And uh, Brian, I know your, your time is, is getting tight with us, but I just wanted to, you know, when Malcolm went, that, that must have been extraordinarily hard for, for Angus and the whole, the whole well, you know, Malcolm went four and a half weeks after George, you know. Uh, um, Angus was all alone. Um, all his brothers had died, you know, all from 45-year-old, 50-year-old. You know, Malcolm went at 63. You know, Angus had to be feeling his own more. He had to be mm -hmm. And then his eldest sister died after Malcolm with Alzheimer's. Oh. I mean, talk about a tough year, you know. And so when we went into that studio, there was, uh, you know, you say, what makes you come out with a good album and all that? There was this thing in Vancouver that it was just everywhere. You know, we wanted to prove to Malcolm that would keep his legacy going, you know. And everybody felt that, you know, Phil and Cliff, and especially Angus, who used to sit there and go, hang on, I'm just thinking what Mal would think of this. Hang on a minute. Uh -huh. <laughs> And uh, and he did, and and when we did one song, The Mists of Time, on the album, uh, it was, I mean, when I sang it, I mean, I just had goosebumps, because all I could say was Malcolm, you know, in, in that song, you know, and the painted ladies looking so divine through the mists of time. And these were the fun times in rock and roll. And it was just, you know, without Malcolm, you know, I don't know. He's, uh, we loved him. I loved him to death. He's going to be a big mess. What's What's the plan going ahead now? Were you meant to take this album out on the road? It, well, no. We wanted to, uh, it, you know, just after we finished rehearsing, we just got our heads together and we said, right, listen, let's let's do some shows. Let's not plan a tour like the old days where there you go, there's the next year and a half of your life. Let's not do that. Let's uh, let's take our time. Let's play some small shows, and you know maybe it's the Hammersmith. Not with, not with all the amps, though. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, just go, it's just, we just wanted to go out as a band again, you know, and just yeah, just have a carefree time, and then maybe cherry pick some nice festivals and uh, you know some stadiums. But you know that's all went out of the window, you know. So you kind of plan. You can't even plan a plan, though. You know, it's uh, yeah. you know, and I feel terrible more than for all those bands out there, you know, that haven't got all that much money, you know, who are, you know, who exist by playing gigs. All the boys, you know, we keep in touch with them and all of that. And, uh, but it, nobody expected this to go on for so long, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just tough on them all. The music business, uh, you, you know, if, if you're on a rock band or a music band and you go to the government and say, I've lost my pair, and they're just going, so what? You know, if you're in the London Philharmonic Orchestra, well, shit, piss, what? You get money off your union, you get money from the government because, you know, you can't play. But if you're in a rock band, tell me why is that, Gary? Why, uh, Guy? Yeah. Is I know, no, I know. It's, we, well, don't. I mean, the, the amount of money, the amount of money that, you know, we bring into the economy. Is, I know. But we're still not legitimate musicians. Or what their what their pass is like proper bona fide musicians in an orchestra, and I think it's got to stop. Well, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> not not. <laughs> I, well, listen, I have I'm no sure intention you. of ever being a bona fide musician. I, I can't imagine. <laughs>
I can't imagine a world, uh, Brian, I can't imagine a world where those cannons aren't going to explode into the audience yeah. at some point in the evening. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to say, for those about to rock, we salute you. I mean, really. Oh, absolutely. I salute you right back, lads. Unbelievable legend. Well, fantastic. We could do this all night, Brian. All night. Oh, all I need is a paint now. Oh. <laughs> Let's, we can do a part two one day for sure when yes. all this is over and we'll get together. Okay, I'll bring the dominoes. <laughs> Actually, so I might. Can I get your number in case I, I get my windscreen broken at any point? Absolutely. <laughs> Coming right at you. <laughs> I can still do it. Anyway, lots of love to you, Brian. Thank you so much Thanks. for being with Thank you, Gary. Absolutely. Absolutely. As always, me son, you take care, lads. Stay safe. Well, that was just as delightful <laughs> as you can get, really, wasn't it? <laughs> Did he make it all up? I mean, I can't get my head around some of those stories. I don't care, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was as if it was if, as if Ian Lafrenet had written it all, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, it was it like really an episode of of, uh, of of Alvida Zane Pet Gone Rock. <laughs> 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 uh, he's a star. I absolutely oh, love him. But what? It, yeah, no. It reminds me. I remember the first time I met him was in the bar of the Four Seasons in Boston, and I've never. Never, and he was just, he had this smile for the whole world and he was so clearly so loving every second of it and so grateful and, you know, it was, you just think like if ever, ever anyone deserves everything they got, you know, in, in the good way. <laughs> anyway, listen, but thank you for listening today. It's been a real pleasure and we are going to have someone else on next week, I guess. So uh, don't forget, you can get us on all your podcast channels. And please subscribe and leave a review. So it's, it's good night from him. And it's good night from her. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.